With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yes, I know you just saw us about an hour ago. We are live yet again, and we're sitting down with another great guest. It's Peter Lubardius. He covers the Calgary Flames. He's here with us tonight. We're going to talk about some Calgary Flames, the Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously his career as well, and get his insight on some things. But, Peter, first and foremost, how's it going, friend? Thank you very much. It, for it is uh, going great. An absolute pleasure to join you guys on this uh, Wednesday night. Absolutely awesome. Sure, well, as sure. you might know, guys, as well, my co-host, as always, is Pete the Heat. He's right here. Uh, Dylan, unfortunately, is working the night shift, so he's not with us today. But uh, let's jump into it. Obviously, uh, an illustrious career for you, uh, doing so many great things. I want to know, what got you into the hockey media side? What got you into wanting to be around hockey? Uh, everybody's got their hook that baits them in, so what was yours? I think my hook started when I was three or four years old and I grew up in Saskatoon and my mom and dad um, took me to a lot of Saskatoon blade hockey games. And the story is I don't remember it at three. I remember it at five, but not at three. And apparently um, from the first time they took me, I didn't squawk. I didn't move. I didn't have much to say. I was just incredibly focused on what was going on. So that really has never changed, except I do now move around a lot and have been around for a long time. But um, I've had the sports bug since I was really, really young. It's never gone away. It's it's truly my happy place. And, you know, every time somebody asks me about my career, two things come to mind. I'm really old. I've been in this racket for 39 years. I started in 1984 in Estevan, Saskatchewan, and still at it today with an industry that's ever changing and demanding and podcasts and and you name it. So I've been a I've been a very very lucky person to live a life of getting paid for my hobby. Unreal, unreal, Peter. Um, well, you said you're from Saskatoon. What made you jump to over to Calgary, Alberta? Here, what what was the correlation with uh, that? Well, I mean, for me, guys, and it would probably fill three quarters of your show to talk about my journey. But I started in radio in Estevan. Um, in 1984, I was the voice of the Estevan Bruins of the Saskatchewan Junior League when I was 19. I was there for four years. I went to Regina. I was the voice of the Regina Pats and worked in radio there. Then I got into TV in 1993. Had a bunch of stops, Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg, back to Saskatoon, Edmonton, and then eventually made my way to Sportsnet Television in 2000 had an opportunity to call one junior game in 2002 and um, 
went on to call eight Memorial Cups and do three years on the TV side as the voice of the Flames. And uh, then took a big bump in the road and guys over there said they weren't fans of my play-by-play and I took it in the chin and about a year and a half later bounced back and for the last 10 years I've been the color analyst on radio of the Flames. So I know that's a long answer but it's there's no direct correlation in any way, shape, or form between Saskatoon and Calgary. There's, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of stops and a lot of time and a lot of miles and a lot of great experiences in between. Now, getting with the Calgary Flames, uh, obviously a lot of great hockey to call and be a part of. I want to know for you, what is that one moment so far that you've got to be a part of or got to see that really sticks out in your mind, whether it's you know, a playoff run or a certain game or a certain goal or a milestone by a player. Uh, is there something that sticks out to you, Peter? I, I would say there's two for me, guys. Um, you know, when I was still doing my number one love, and that's the play-by-play side, I guess I was lucky enough to call Jerome McGinley's 1,000th career point uh, in a game in St. Louis. So I was lucky enough to do that. Um you know, obviously, you guys might have heard probably, I guess, what was my signature call of all time, and that's the Alish Hemsky and Patrick Steffen miss. Um, <laughs> you know, the old, do you believe what we just saw? <laughs> I don't yeah. think there's anybody that probably hasn't caught that one once or twice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a moment, obviously. And, and as far as doing color in the flames, you know, I talked about Jerome and the play-by-play side. Probably my favorite moment um, in doing my job as color analyst is, you know, Matt Stajan uh, going back to, I guess, now what would have been the years start to run away on you a little bit, but would have been 2014, 2015, and they played in Vancouver in round one, and and Matt had lost um, a child a couple years earlier, late in his wife's pregnancy, and um, you know, I've known Matt for a long time. I remember calling his games when he was a junior with the Belleville Bulls. And so he scored a huge game-winning goal in game six of that opening round series against Vancouver. So that would probably be my favorite, certainly, goal um, or moment in terms of something that I've watched along the way. But my favorite things, guys, in many ways... I love the games, but I tell all people that ask this, you know, I've been lucky enough to kind of go to hockey school and sports school my whole life. And and very, very grateful for being around some of the best players on planet Earth, the best coaches, GMs, scouts. um, And I love the game and I'm incredibly passionate about sports and learning about it and, you know, feel very fortunate that I've, been in that school for a long time well that's yeah i mean that goal i mean just just listening to you talk about it i can only imagine the emotion on both sides of it obviously him scoring it but you calling it too knowing him personally so you know that's a that's a great story a lot of people would have picked you know just a team moving on or something like that so to hear an actual detailed story like that is pretty darn cool that that sticks with you all this time later um and and we'll keep with the flames here i want to ask you about a a couple of guys. We'll go name by name here. But um, Mr. Tichuk, 
he's over in Florida. He's doing well. Um, he's, you know, boisterous. He's fun. Uh, he's physical and all those things. I want to know from your perspective, going into his last year into Calgary there, did you have any inkling that he may not be a flame any longer or it was the writing kind of on the wall? Because from an outside lens for us, we always think that guys love being on the team they're on and that they're going to try to figure out or find a way to get it done. We heard, obviously, all the problems or the the rumblings when it got to a head. But was there a point where you were like, you knew this was going to happen? Yeah, you know, in all sincerity, you know, obviously I watched Matthew break in and make the team as an 18-year-old and, um, you know, saw virtually every single game that he played as a flame with my own two eyes. I never really sensed that especially in the last two years that he had long-term plans to stay in Calgary. Um, I I just, that was my sense. Certainly I'll be the first to tell you, I never had a great relationship with him necessarily. um, But certainly have people, you know, around and good friends like Ryan Leslie, who is incredibly close to him. Um, Watched him operate. I always say this about Matthew. He's one of the smartest, most intelligent, aware people of not just the sport, but of the business, you know, from his agent is Craig Oster of Newport. You know, that's his uncle. Um, You know, obviously his dad, Keith, leading the way. So I just, I never sensed, early I did. Early I did. I would have thought that he was going to be there forever. Thought he had all the, you know, ability and leadership qualities. But through some coaching changes, and I don't think he was always necessarily enamored sometimes even within the room. I don't I don't really think he ever saw Calgary as a long, long-term fit. Um and is that partly him? Yeah. Is it potentially the situation and partly that? Yeah. So, you know, I remember on the air on our radio station a lot of times just saying, you know, before people start talking about him as a captain, you know, going into not this year, but the year before, yep. you better find out and ask this guy if he's really focused on being here long term. and. The reason I would say that is I just, I never sensed that. And, you know, we know how it's kind of turned out ever since. Yeah. Yeah. So another former Flames, can we get, like, what was your relationship with uh, Johnny Hockey Goudreau here? Um, same sort of vibe. Did you get the, when he first no, came in? He was no, no, no. A- no, I, you know, those two guys, the hard part when you're on the outside and, and you hear things, and we're all kind of on the outside, let's not kid anybody. Um, but those two situations, and I was really adamant about it. You know, Johnny was such a fan favorite for such a long time. Yep. And there was, you know, when Johnny walked away and came out and said he really didn't know until the last second, I don't think he ever really knew until the last second. And I do think he was completely torn as to what he should do. Um, As opposed to Matthew, where, you know, 
That was a calculated, he went to them, said he wasn't staying. Um, You know, and I'd say that locally in Calgary, about everybody seems to be mad at Johnny. And I'm like, okay, he left. And I get that and kind of walked them to the end. But let's let's not forget the other guy came to you and said he didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, that's completely different. They're, they're they're very they're very different situations and they're very different people. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to say this the best and most respectful, but you know, Johnny just loved to play hockey. Johnny wasn't, you know, I think Johnny was never very comfortable with making deals or going to free agency. You know, I think in many ways he was just always hoping somebody would make his decision easy for him. And then it wasn't. And so when he said that he and his wife, Meredith, who made a massive impact on him, um, I saw a big change in him maturity wise, you know, on and off the ice. And, and Johnny, without a doubt is a huge family guy. And there was a, Guys, they were this close, and I mean this close. The Flames thought it was done. They, yeah. they they went to bed the night before thinking that they had a deal consummated, and the next day only to find out that, you know, they'd, they'd talked, and he and his wife, the story is, went for a long drive. The they story were, I heard, too. They yes. were just about to have their first child. Um, her parents... I believe, live an hour or two outside of Columbus. We know he's from, you know, the Philadelphia area. So, you know, if if, if you've ever had kids or, or been through it, those things are really, really important. And they're really, really important to somebody who's, you know, incredibly family-oriented. So, um, you know, that's... That's how I see those two things as very different and very different scenarios, even though they very much got grouped together. And and Johnny, I think, was more a villain than the other guy. And for me, that's kind of, I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah, I look at Johnny Gaudreau and, I mean, obviously fan favorite. And like you said, it was right up from everybody that I've heard. We had Audie James on uh, last week as well and said the same thing. That car drive really was the thing that really changed and swayed everything. I mean, being closer to home, you can't beat that. And being close to family and stuff like that, especially when you do have grandchildren and things like that. I mean, a lot of people put that into value. And I think we had to look to it not too far back in the past couple of years with the pandemic and people not being able to be close to people or travel. You know, that really put into people's minds, you know, the what ifs and maybe we can't. And, you know, do do you roll that dice now or do you take what you can and get where you want to be. I guess he took where he wanted to be was closer to family and that's what he wanted. And I don't fault him for that. It just kind of, it stings as a fan because you love your guys. Well, of course it does. Of course it does. And I, I mean, the emotions are supposed to be there. The question I would ask you from an outside lens, and we'll talk more about the Leafs in a little bit, because we got more Calgary stuff to talk about, but I want to know from your kind of perspective, we have a guy named Austin Matthews who's about to kind of go into the same spot as Chuck did. Do you get any vibes, same kind of vibes, Matthews to Chuck, where he may want to walk and go somewhere else? 
I personally don't feel it. It looks like he wants to be here. Sounds like he wants to be here. But uh, I'm wondering if you may see any similarities that maybe I'm not taking my rose-colored glasses off to see. Well, we could do a whole show on this one, and you guys probably wouldn't necessarily love my angle on this whole story. Um, I don't know how to answer it, and here's why. I don't like to speak from the outside when I have very little knowledge of the person and the makeup of the person. So it's one of the things that, you know, in our business today, And the only thing, well, there's several things I don't like about it, to be honest. But um, one of those is that everybody kind of has a forum now, and that's great. Um, But the truth of the matter is, most of the time, people think they know, but they don't know. And in this case, I don't know. Um, I would have a bigger issue with, if I'm Brad Treleving... I'll put it to you this way and and I'll open the can of worms and you guys take it for what it is. Cause you're obviously very invested in the team. This is what your show is about. Has Austin Matthews done enough for you during the playoffs to warrant another massive raise? That is the, uh, that's the uh, $14 million question, isn't it? Are you willing, yeah. are you willing to go down that road? As one of the, I would say, one of the best players on earth, like True Living said, yes, I, I, I would be, not just rose-colored glasses. Um, he showed a little bit more this year in the playoffs. He definitely disappeared in the second round. Uh, say what you will, maybe that fight with Stamkos aggravated his, his wrist, whatever it was. His shooting wasn't the same beyond that point. He didn't look like the same guy as round one to round two. So less pop on the shot. But um, I'd be willing to take a risk on a talent like that and a player like that and number one center like that. But um, I see where you're coming from. I, I'm I not, now, that. listen, I'm not saying I'm not saying if I was Brad and I think I know Brad pretty well um, and I think you've got a real good one there moving forward. Um, but that's that's the tricky part how I see the game guys. And I know that that's not always the most popular thing. I won't tell you that I don't care about what guys do in the regular season, but I really don't care that much what guys do in the regular season. I have always been somebody who values what you do. Now, again, it's different. 16 teams make it 16. Don't. And I don't think people a lot of times on the outside understand really just how difficult it is to just get yourself into the playoffs. And so there is great value there. But after a certain point in time, and the Leafs are hard to assess too because they play in a miserable division that frankly is only getting more and more difficult with the likes of Buffalo getting better and Detroit getting better and Ottawa getting better. But to spend the money they have on that group of four to get what they've got, fellas, that's not good enough. (laughs) And you you haven't taken it this way, but I'm going to take it this way. And that is this. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs 
stopped in round two for two reasons. I think in many ways, I think it was hard for them to emotionally get back to a different level after you go that long without winning a series and you do it and you beat a team that had won two Stanley Cups and been to the last final. So I think they really had a difficult time probably emotionally to get back to that level again. Yep. But here's the other part, and I'll ask you guys. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs got bumped in the playoffs eventually because, in my opinion, they have one guy who belongs in a top four of a good playoff defense. And I don't, I'm one of those guys. I don't care if you have the six best forwards on planet earth on your team at this time of year, you better be able to check elite level people and your elite level people better be as good without it as they are with it. And in my opinion about the Toronto Maple Leafs and it's, the error that I think Kyle Dubas made, I think he put all his eggs in one basket. And I think it's a big reason as to why the Leafs have not had more postseason success. Because in my world, and it's just my world, I would trade an excellent top four for a great top six any day of the week. And you need well, you, you need both. But take a look at the... Now, again, I can't even say that about Florida because Florida is kind of, you know, a bit of an enigma, right? But why did the Vegas Golden Knights, why are they doing what they do? Because they've got Austin. Now, they have Jack Eichel. Okay. Mark Stone and a couple of others, yep. Okay. They have some great players. But what they have, I had an argument with a dear friend of mine, even on the air a few weeks ago, who laughed at me. When I suggested that I gave Vegas the small advantage over Edmonton because I like their top six and their group on defense better than Edmonton. That's that's the least to me. The biggest mistake they made for me was not finding a way to keep Zach Hyman. And yeah, I'd have moved. I'd have moved William Nylander in one second in order to keep the other guy. And that's not to say the other guy's going to get you 40 every year. He is as talent. He might be one of the top five most talented players in the sport, but when push comes to shove, I don't trust him. Sorry. I don't trust him. Listen, I'll say this about Zach Hyman. The only reason, and I'm one of the biggest Zach Hyman fans, it was hashtag Hyman hustle for me forever. Love that guy. Love what he brought every single day. My only issue and worry was his knee injuries. It's looking good in Edmonton, obviously. And are you paying a guy that's on the wrong side of 30 with knee injuries? Does it fall apart? And it's happened to the Leafs so many times. And that may have factored into it. But I agree with you. He's a guy that they need. And we actually were just talking about this not even an hour ago with Terry Koshan, who covers the Leafs side of things. And we were talking about the fact that you probably move a William Nylander and make the difference on defense, bring in some better defenders and bolster that part of your, your lineup, because that's where teams are making the bread and butter in the playoffs. And you're seeing with some teams, how thin that line is though. You look at Tampa, they lose a Cernak and it kind of throws them off. You look at Florida right now with Gudis being 
even out and not himself. You know, that physicality is not there. But with Vegas, they have that right through from one to six. Guys that can not only move the puck, but they can move the body. And that's physical. I like to use this word a lot when I analyze hockey, and that is slotting. One through six, to me, they have guys pretty much in the right slots. Yep. That, as you guys know, that's hard to get done in the cap era. And, and I could say that about very, very few National Hockey League teams. But again, getting back to the least, and listen, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Brody. I'm, you know, I mean, I saw virtually all of Mark Giordano's career. I'm a huge fan. Yep. But for me, that was the defense in the playoffs that had one top four guy and a bunch of fives and sixes. Yep. You're, you're not going to get much of a complaint out of the guys. Well, you can, here. you can. And, I, and, well, you know, I, I, I like, I like Luke Shen, but I like Luke Shen as a five, six. I like, I Luke love Shane. Luke Shen. He's one of my favorite guys ever. Yep. Going back. I covered him when he grew up in Saskatoon. I called the 2007 Canada Russia super series. Um, I've known this guy forever. I love him. He can play on my team each and every day. But do I think of him as a true top four on an elite team? No. No, that's why I say I like him as a 5'6 guy. Yeah, a lot of 5'6 and a great 5'6 guy. That'd be where I'd slot him. You talk about slotting guys. I mean, for me, I like McCabe. But, I mean, maybe as a 4-5. You know, but then again... Where are you? How many trades and how many moves do you have to make to augment your defense enough to make it Vegas Golden Knight ish? Because that's what it's going to be. Everybody copies what works. So they'll look at that roster and try to find guys like that. And I mean, maybe you go find someone free agency or in a trade, but you have to move one of those four pillars, we'll say, to get it done. And I like what True Living said when he came here, though. He doesn't want to look at it as the core four, he wants it to be the 23 man roster the Toronto Maple Leafs to get it done and we'll shift our, our focus to him. I mean, that's a guy that you got to, to see probably be around and really understand from your perspective. And, and we'd love to hear it because we're getting a guy and a lot of Leafs nation is upset right now because Kyle Dubas is gone and, you know, they were comfortable or whatever with what he brought. I'm excited to see what Brad Trilliving can do. I think it was time for some fresh ideas and a guy that can come in and maybe, uh, you know, have a little bit of bravado and do things here that Kyle Dubas didn't. But I'm wondering for you, what are Leaf fans getting here in Bradshaw Living? And more importantly, what kind of build can we expect from him for this Maple Leaf team? What did he like? What is his bread and butter and go-to for guys? Well, I think Brad has always displayed in the past that, first of all, he's not afraid to take a swing. And so... This is not an easy position for all kinds of different reasons. So, you know, they have, as you guys know, as well as I do, if not better, I mean, they've got some money coming off the books and they've got some decisions to make, but they've also got, they have massive decisions to make. And, and I don't think he'll be shy in trying to, to make them make his team better. I think even how the last couple years went in Calgary, I think it's going to make him a better GM than he ever has been. 
Yeah, I was wondering um, if that experience with the, with Goudreau and Tuchuk really w- would factor in for what he's about to go through with Nylander and Matthews. Well, it's not going to hurt. Yeah. But, but gents, when you're the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're taking on something that, because I like them so much, forget, I don't, whatever, as a GM, that's one thing. I really value this guy as a person. I really do. And, you know, having experience in a Canadian market is one thing. But I covered the lease in Toronto for about three years on a very regular basis in the early 2000s. And it's not even close, wasn't even close then to what it is now. Yeah. Social media has changed everything. And... But I do think his experience, he's great with the media. He operates with tremendous professionalism and integrity. Uh, I don't think he's ever really had a poor relationship with any players. I think people really like him, value him, want to play hard for him. Um, So I think it's a good choice. And... And again, that's not disparaging Kyle. Yep. But the truth of the matter is, I don't care who you are in Toronto, you got to win. It's the only recipe. And and nobody's going to care unless you get to a better place than you've been. And they haven't been to a lot of great places for a long time. So as you gents know in your age very well. So... I think he's the right guy for the job. And what people don't understand either sometimes is it's as important in professional sports to manage up as it is to manage down. So Brendan Shanahan, I think Brendan Shanahan at this point, like this might be his last move see that i could very much see that um i think he's got himself a great guy and i think he's got himself someone that he can collaborate with will be willing to absolutely you know you have to have a team now more than ever in sports at the top and if your ownership and, you know, your president and your GM and your coaching staff isn't aligned, gents, you got no chance. Mm-hmm. I don't care who your players are. And it's a constant fight and battle all the time. But Brad's got some work to do, and I will tell you this about him. I've been around the sport for almost 40 years at every level that there is. He's as hard a worker and as diligent a person at what he does as anybody I've ever been around. We've heard that multiple times that we believe it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all like like I said, I was all in for someone new and some fresh yep. ideas, and Bradshaw Living brings that. Um, there's a question I want to ask about coaching. Um, we have obviously Sheldon Keefe right here. There's a guy in the AHL who won the coach of the year twice. Um, you're probably well familiar with him. Um, do you see Bradshaw Living if Calgary doesn't make him the head coach there, maybe bringing him over to Toronto to be the assistant coach here and maybe the uh, heir apparent to Sheldon Keefe? I wouldn't be surprised. Mitch Love is going to be a head coach in the National Hockey League. There's no question. 
been incredibly successful everywhere he's been. Um, you know, he was a member a couple of times of our world junior staff. And when I really started to have great um, respect for him is, as I told you off the top, I'm from Saskatoon. And I know this is a pro hockey show and I'm good with that, but things were difficult with the Saskatoon Blades for a long time. And he was the guy that truly went in to that organization and put it back on its feet with who he is, how he operates, the culture he created. I'm a big fan. And there is no doubt And he was one hard son of a, you know what, when he played the game in the Western League in particular, because I remember that too. See, being old is helpful because you can remember a lot of stuff. And I, at this point, I'd like to start forgetting. I remember too much. Um, So, yeah, I... Do I think he's going to be on Calgary staff or Toronto staff? Yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance. I just, I just don't know which one. I just think that if um, in my, that again, I don't know anything. So I love talking to people that are around things that know, so I can formulate my opinion. And so far, from what I gather, it seems to be that he, you know, he's got no further to go where he is. He's already proved all he can prove two times in a row now being the AHL coach of the year, it's time for him to get a chance somewhere. And I think if Calgary doesn't do it, I think Brad brings him along. And that ends up being his guy behind the bench, much like when Dubas came, Keefe eventually was his guy behind the bench. And I could see that happening. The other thing I want to know, too, with with him coming over from Calgary, Bradshaw Living, and coming to the Toronto Maple Leafs, is there a player or someone you think that is a Bradshaw Living guy through and through that, not that he'd poach, but would want to make a deal for some people say maybe Rasmus Anderson uh, as a gritty kind of defenseman kind of guy. Do you see any player that Brad might want to bring with him over here? I know, like we said earlier, he's got Brody and Geo that he knows, but maybe someone that'll fit more of the mold going forward. And again, it's an, I don't know thing, but if you had to put a name or a thought on it, it's an awesome question. It's one I've never been asked. It's a great question. Um, I would just say this. I, I think I think Brad is always anybody he's either acquired or been around for a long time. Yep. You know, he has a lot of value in those people. And so he would be silly not to potentially upgrade certain areas of the Toronto Maple Leafs with people that he has great understanding of who and what they are. And not just as players, but as people. Yeah. Um, so do I think that there would be those kind of possibilities? I do. And I could even see a fit between the two teams because, you know, the flames could arguably use some more skill up front and pace. And as we've talked about quite a lot already, and you know how I feel about, you know, continuing to grow your back end and get better back there. So yeah, I could see I could see Brad absolutely, especially you know, if I'm Calgary, I don't let Rasmus Anderson go in any way, shape, or no. form. You're no. not ha- you're not having him. 
Um, but it will be it will be really fascinating moving forward, you know, with Craig Conroy, who I have incredible respect for. And, you know, Craig has worked for the organization, you know, for 10 years. And so and he really people don't know this, but if it wasn't for Craig in a lot of ways trying to glue things together between the now ex-coach and players and management, I don't know how things might have ended up this past season because it was not good, fellas. It was not good. What was the reason for that? Was that, do you think it was coaching or the new guys coming in, just not gelling together, right? What, what do you think? We don't have enough time, my friend, on this show. <laughs> and I still want to work in hockey for a little while. Yeah, But I will tell you this. There was not a lot of synergy between Daryl and the players. And I don't even, and I think, one of the reasons Brad decided to step away had a lot to do with that. Yeah. I don't think those guys were on the same page. And um, I think it very much started last year when they both wanted an extension and a new deal. And listen, don't kid yourself. Power is everything. Control. Yeah. Because when, when the owner said to Daryl, we're making you a priority, we're – what I was told, and I don't know if it's completely true, but what I was told is they were ba both potentially had a chance to be extended, but one guy was going to make as much money as the other guy, if not more. Now, whether that is completely 100% true, I don't know. But I do know this. When, and, and I can say the same thing. You guys, you're probably not old enough yet to be in these kind of situations but you know at this level whether it's our business or their business people really tell you how they value you in two ways they pay you or it's the opportunities that you get and like everybody else in life we prioritize the people and the things that we value the most that's very true very and true. so i think that kind of got the ball rolling in a in a tough way. And listen, Daryl himself has a hockey mind that I'm not sure I've ever seen. But the truth of the matter is, as a guy who's getting closer to 60 than 50 myself, um, the players of today are not the same. The 20 and 30-year-olds are not the same. No. You, no. you guys, you, you guys, I don't know exactly how old you are, but you know, you weren't brought up the same way. Um, it, it's, you don't collect information the same way. You're exposed to way more your value system in a lot of ways. And the truth of the matter is hockey in our country. And I don't like this very much, but it's reality has become very much an elitist game. It's hard to play the game at a high level if you don't come from some pretty good do-re-mi. So in life, I find when you're used to kind of getting what you want when you want, that's changed the whole thing. And not always, and I'm not saying that's always a bad thing, but what I'm saying is 
if I generationally really look at things very different than you do, we're not going to always get to a good place, are we? Nope. And Daryl is very much set in his ways. He's been very successful. Daryl really doesn't have time for people's personalities or feelings at work. He wants results. But the truth of the matter is that's not for everybody. Nope. It is. And, and, and even for myself, who is a passionate, all-in kind of guy, he's not an easy guy to deal with on an everyday basis. So, and the other thing you learn about life, too, is even in our own workplaces, when things are going really well, we're a lot easier to deal with than we are when things around us aren't very good or the team's not winning and everybody's pissed off in the market because then it becomes everybody's fault. And the truth is players can tell you all they want. They don't read it. They don't hear it. They don't see it. Bullshit with a capital B. (laughs) And I never swear on the air and I just did. So that's, that's how strong I feel. It is Guys, there's a reason it's hard in the Canadian markets. There are very few players of today that I think are built for it. And that's that's just being as honest as I can. And the longer and the longer I'm in the media at that level, I'm enjoying it less and less all the time. Oh. That's a strong statement. And true. No, definitely. Um, you know, I look at this whole thing and I, I just look at it from a lens of, for Sutter anyways, like you said, very successful, knows what he's doing, thinks it's the only way to do it. And some people aren't willing to take in the ideas or the feelings or emotions and all that stuff where it's worked the way that he's done it. It's worked and he's got the ultimate prize on a trophy case to show for it. You know, so who's going to tell me that I'm wrong. And that could go many different ways. Like you just said, in any workplace, you know, someone thinks they got the the path to success. You're not knocking them off it. And, you know, we're about to see the same thing play out again. And hopefully in a different way with Babcock joining the Columbus blue jackets, talk about a guy setting his ways, same kind of thing. So we're going to see if that changes or not, but for, for Sutter and, and the Calgary flames last year, even as a fan, as a casual observer of the Flames, watching the press conferences and some of the things that happened and just wild things that you would, you know, never hear or see happened. And you could just see the disconnect between everyone. And I hope this year, whatever Craig Conroy puts behind the bench and builds for this team, I do hope guys like Huberto and Uyghur really get a chance to shine and do really, really well. Because I think that would go leaps and bounds for the trade that happened with Chuck. And I think Huberto can pull out of it. I definitely think he can. And I think Uyghur is definitely a, I don't know about you, three good 3-4 three, guy. Oh, I mean, absolutely is. And even if you, if you watched him in the back half of the year after the break, um, he was a different guy. He was arguably our best guy at the world championship that just came to an end very recently. He was named the top defenseman. He led team Canada in points. And again, that event isn't for everybody, but this is a good player. And 
I haven't known him as long, but I was around in certainly the first year when Jonathan Huberto led the St. John Sea Dogs to the Memorial Cup and got to know him really well. I was calling that tournament one of my true pride and joys of anything I've ever done in my career. And Jonathan Huberto is a fine hockey player and he is a fine person. Um, but as, as I said all year in Calgary, Jonathan Huberto, you can call it whatever you want. He was fired by the Florida Panthers. Yeah. You call, you call it whatever you want. That's a good way to look at it, to be you, honest. You're, you, you come off your best year ever. You were drafted by that team. It's the only team you've known. You love it. Your team's on the rise. And your general manager phones you one day. You think you're getting a call about a potential extension, and he tells you you're traded. Yeah. It crushed him. I'm telling you, it crushed him. And, and then on top of that, when you're absolutely trying and people will go, well, you're a pro. Yeah, you're a pro. Yeah. Yeah. You signed a giant extension. Yeah. Until you have ever been fired from a place that you loved, you don't know. And I'm going to tell you, in 2011, when I got fired at Sportsnet, on television, I'm still not over it. Still. So he's going to get past it. But the other part is when you're hurt, you're crushed, you're trying to get to a better place. It doesn't start well. You've lost all your confidence. And your coach is a guy that isn't afraid to tell you or everybody else how crappy you're playing. Yeah. You never, well. you, you never catch up. So mm-hmm. I think you will see a very different guy. And I also think in terms of McKenzie, well, gents, again, back to what I stated earlier. Jonathan Huberto was picked three overall in his draft year. Yep. He's been a star player basically his whole life. The other guy was a seventh round pick. So you know what you have to do when you're a seventh round pick to get to the NHL? You got to fight through every battle, every obstacle, every hurdle, which builds a different kind of toughness. Yep. And, and, he's not and, a- I, and, and he was also hurt and upset, and it was really hard. But when he went home and got away for the All Star break and the mandated break, he came back a different guy. And I just think it was easier for him because of his preparation of going through a more difficult, bumpy path than Jonathan, who guaranteed that's the hardest thing he's ever been through in his life. Touche. And so it, it doesn't always work for people, but I never break down hockey just solely from sports and numbers. I talk a lot about people because I know it's all about analytics and numbers and this shot rate and somebody's expected goals or whatever. And that's fine. I'm not against, I'm not against that. They have a place too, but the game is still played by people. And when people aren't feeling good about themselves, I don't care if it's 
you at the flower shop, Pete, I don't know exactly what you do, me on the air. You're not feeling good about yourself. We can't be yeah. at our best. Same. No, you can't be. And I mean, we've seen it time and time again. You know, when you just hit the nail on the head a little bit ago, talking about when things are going bad, it's not easy to pick yourself up and figure it out. But when things are going great, you're a lot easier to deal with. And things around you are a lot easier to deal with. So it all snowballs together. But I'm a big person that talks about, um, you know, the, the human element side of things. Whether you look at trades, and you'll see if you ever watch any of my posts around trade deadline time, I look at the the relationships that end. Like you look at Pierre Engvall leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs, Rasmus Sandin, you know, and the emotion on those guys with their friends on the team and stuff like that. It sucks. And again, a player that looked like he got fired, Rasmus Sandin got sent to Washington while the Toronto Maple Leafs were going on a tear and loading up to go on what they thought at the time was a run. You know, so that guy was crushed. You could see he was crushed. You know, so you see that emotion. I always look at the human element side of things and you look at people and just the way they react and, I can agree fully with what you're saying about Huberto and how much that would suck and hurt and just leave you wondering about yourself, really. It's and the first time he's ever had to ask this question. And now am, you got to figure... Am, am I still good at this game that I've been really good at? And, and, and really, guys, and I can only speak from my own experience, um... When you lose your confidence, and I say this about a lot of pro athletes, they're not used to it. They don't have a lot of reps. No. So when somebody comes along and tells you you're not very good at something or you feel like you're not very good at something that has always been really, really good for you, that's that's a different kind of trying to work your way back. That's That's – that's the disagreement I always have with people sometimes is they think it should be easier for those people. No, I think it's completely the opposite. If you're a grinder and a worker and you've never, you've had to fight for everything. So when you get bumped off the road a little bit, you usually dust yourself off because you're used to kind of being in that battle. You figure it out. And I will never forget this guys, as long as I live. And it, and it really helped me feel the way I do about things. So I was in the Pittsburgh dressing room a number of years ago. It was the year where, where Sydney was going through just an absolute miserable time. And I can't tell you that, you know, Sydney and I are friends or allies or whatever, but I was lucky enough to be around him, you know, in his days with Ramuski. I covered two world juniors every single day. You know, and this is, this, by the way, he's one of the finest people in our sport. He's yep. everything you think mm-hmm. about. He's everything you hear about. And I'll never forget, I had a brief visit with him that year in the Pittsburgh room. And he and he virtually said to me, man, it's been hard. I just, you know, he didn't say I've lost my confidence, but he alluded to it pretty much. He alluded to it. And, of course, he got it back because he won't have it any other way. That's what makes him so special. But I remember walking out of the room going, hey, if this guy can struggle, anybody can struggle. Nobody's immune to it. No one. No one. one. Not a person on this But we think they are. 
Yeah, I hate that narrative, though. I really do. I hate when people say, I well, I can tell you do, pro. and I love you for that. They, they, I, the thing I see the most is, oh, they're pro athletes. They get paid a boatload of money, but they're still human. I always say that there's still a person, there's still emotions inside. I don't care if you make $50 million or 50 bucks, it's still the same thing inside of you. You feel the same way. It's it's all emotion. You're still a person. And people yeah, hurt. And, and people when you're making $50 million a year, you don't. The people making fifty bucks a day, they're not going on internet or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, having people tell tell you how crappy you are at your job. That's it right there. And there's a guy right now that's going through it and's got to build himself back in Toronto, and that's Alex Manoa. That's what, thinking of this conversation right we're having right now. That's another guy there that's kind of lost the confidence right 100%. now. Hundred percent. Figure it out, right? Yeah. So. Right now, Alex Manoa looks like the modern-day Roy Halladay when he had to go down to A-ball. Yeah. You know, that just shows you. The best people are capable of getting to points where it's like, how many times does Alex Manoa ask himself this season, what, did I forget how to pitch in the summer? Yeah, what's going on here? And the harder you try and the more you – it actually gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. Well, that's why I say you look at it now and you'll have the opportunity going down to figure it out. But that's that's the, the beauty of life, too. Right. You get to figure things out and you get to mm-hmm. take it like Huberto right now. It's a hard path. You got to figure it out. I'm one of those people that grew up with nothing. So, you know, for me, when things go wrong, you figure it out, you find a way you get it done. And, you know, sometimes it sucks. You feel bad for yourself in the moment, but you have to keep moving and figure it out. Otherwise it's just not going to be there for you. And yeah, it's also, it's also James about the hard part for all of us. And I mean, I've learned so much about even myself in the last 10 years, you learn from hard. Yep. And, and, and the other part that gets difficult, I think for all of us is when things don't go well for you, you better understand that a decent chunk of that has something to do with you. Yes. So, you know, self-awareness, taking responsibility, you don't have to take all of it, but, you know, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of people, not only in the pro sports world, it's like, well, he wasn't used right. It was his fault. It was the coach's fault. I mean, even, I mean, I asked Jonathan this myself. A, did he lose his confidence? Yes, he said he did. Yep. And and if you want different, you got to do different. So as much as I think Daryl Sutter was not a good fit for him, he didn't play well enough either. So now going into this year, you do all the work that you need to. And most of it is right here. Between the ears, yep. Right between the ears. But if you don't think that you're not partly responsible, you're probably going to go through it again and again and again. Yeah, which, again... And it's so, not easy. Don't get me no. wrong. It's it's When we get hurt really bad, those experiences, they're hard to put in their proper place. Well, they leave a mark and a lasting thing that, again, in your mind, too, and I'm sure you have this and I have it in my life for, for different situations, but... It's something you can also draw back on, though, and just be like, remember when or that feeling. I don't want to feel that again, so let's make sure this is done or that is done or how do I fix this before it snowballs into that. 
you can kind of catch little things on your own self-awareness to fix it before it becomes that bigger issue. And hopefully for, for Hubes, he, he looks good this he year. Will. Terror he will. Up. I think he'll so. be, he'll be, I'm not saying he's ever going to get 115 again, but he's not going to get 50 some again. I don't think. No, I think it, listen, I've, I've long said this and I've said it many times because a lot of people drill me now because Trill Living's our GM, and they say, well, you know, look at the players over there. They didn't work out. I said, yeah, watch this year coming up. I think the Calgary Flames are going to be a team to watch. They're going to be a hell of a ride and a lot of fun, and people are going to wish that they were on that bandwagon. I've said it on my lives watching the uh, the Florida Panthers and the uh, Vegas Golden Knights Stanley Cup run here so far, and I keep telling people to watch Calgary next year because it's going to be – a fun show. I think that dark cloud kind of is gone, you know, with the Johnny and Chucky moving on, the Sutter thing gone, new GM in there, new ideas, fresh life, fresh coach. I think it's going to be fun, man. I really do. Yeah, I think it'll be better. I don't think there's any question. It'll be better. And the other thing that people don't talk about a lot, it's how you manage your expectations. And I also believe one of the reasons the Toronto Maple Leafs have Struggled at key times. It's a hard place to win. It's a hard place to win. And mm-hmm. listen, I'm I'm weird as a fan. I'm even keel when they win, lose, draw. I always try to find, I wouldn't say the positive in it, but what's next? How can they get better? Where are they right. going to get better? I'd rather look at it that way than just sit there and complain and say it's all negative and all bad. There's no point in that. It doesn't make me feel good. And it, doesn't serve anything. I'd rather talk about, hey, listen, maybe if they try this or this or this or that or whatever, it's more fun that way, in my opinion anyway. But other people are not going to ever tell anybody how to fan. <laughs> no, that's I like that. I like that. I might steal that from you. <laughs> but I always give I always give credit when I take. No, no worries. Well, I want to give credit to you. Thank you very much. We set this up over the past week. I uh, really appreciate you coming on, Peter. And yeah, talking some flames and some reese with us. Hopefully, when we get closer to the season and no rosters a little bit more, we can have you back on and uh, break some things down and see what the Leafs did and see what the Flames did over the offseason. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, guys and gals, this right here is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk. Cheers. <laughs>